December 3rd, 1980. I realize that some of you weren't even alive then. I was. In fact, I was uh, <coughs> sitting in our uh, manse or a parsonage in uh, Sydney, Australia, and I had in front of me not, well, I was considering with Barb and our two-year-old son, Josh, um, what would be the next step that God is leading us into? And it was a very tough decision. I want you to know, I've never had three job offers at once, ever in my life. And so this was very special. I was patting myself on the back, which God wanted to take care of. And, and things were going very well. So the issue was, do we move from Sydney to Melbourne and the pastor that wanted to bring us in to do youth ministry there said, we're the largest Baptist church in all of Australia, and we're going to pay you much, much more. Uh, those things attract me. <clears throat> the second one was, we would like you to stay right here in this church in Sydney, and instead of doing youth ministry, sort of move up to be doing family ministries and it's a blank slate. We're not doing it now. We would really like you to participate and, and lead that, just like you've led the youth for the last five and a half years. Um, that was, I mean, we love that, that place, and we love that church. And the third one was, we'd like you to return to Aurora, Colorado, and you'd like, we'd like you to plant a daughter church of a mother church here in downtown Denver. And so uh, I, I was just... Confused. I didn't know what was, you know, what Lord should I do? I have all these things in front of me. So the decision that we sort of made together was we will set a deadline. And the deadline will be December 3rd, 1980. So there I am, December 3rd, 1980. I know I have a few extra hours because the sun's only coming up in, in, in Denver where I need to call, but, but things are going, you know, it's getting late in the day where, where I am now. So uh, uh, by the end of that night, we call Denver, Colorado, and we say we're coming back to the United States, and we're going to be involved with you in planting a church. The reason why we made that decision is that by the end of that day, uh, December 3rd, the other two churches had not talked to us. They said, oh, we're going to call you. It's coming. It's coming. But they really hadn't made the contact or given us an offer. Well, on December 5th, two days later, I get a phone call from Melbourne saying, it's all set, we can't wait for you to come. And on December 7th, Pearl Harbor Day for us, but just December 7th for Australia, they say, hey, it's all set, we're ready for you to start family ministries, it's all set. And I say, well, I told you in November, that our deadline was December 3rd. I've already said yes. I loved, I mean, I'm honored that you wanted me to stay here. I'm honored that you wanted me to go to the largest Baptist church in Australia. I'm really honored. But I believe God led us to that decision date because it was so confusing as to what we, as to what we should do. Now, uh, we ended up, and I, I just want you to say, that we firmly believe that that was what God wants us to do, but it wasn't necessarily easier. Planting a church is not for everybody, and I was only the associate pastor, so I had it easy compared to the senior pastor. Uh, 
I do not suggest that the best way to discern God's will is to set a deadline. But this time it made a lot of sense. I, I also do not suggest that a deadline is the only way to discern God's leading. Uh, but I do know this. If you have some idea of a decision that needs to be made, and you do continue to pray about it, I believe that God's going to step up. I believe that God, because he calls you his son or his daughter, that God is not just going to step up, but he's going to walk you through it. And again, don't use deadlines, but there are specific ways in which God leads you along to major decisions. Now, we are in a letter that Paul has written to the Christians in this major world-class city called Ephesus. And because the Christian group there is new and very small, they'd only been there less than 10 years, uh, they are considered the counterculture. In fact, there was even riots in there over Christianity. But they're their counterculture in terms of their belief system, but also in their lifestyles. So they stick out in that famous city, and they're very suspiciously admired. Now, they've been blessed by God. And because they've been blessed by God as a church family, they live by three house rules. And I'm going to keep reminding you of these all the time. The first is we are told to get along with one another. Do whatever it takes to get along. Secondly, we're to contribute. That doesn't just mean money, but it means also God has given you gifts to make a contribution to your church uh, so that it can be a stronger group, stronger in the faith, larger in numbers, uh, more deep effect of God working within them. And finally, we're to grow up. We're to be people who are more mature in our faith, not just by learning, but by how we live and our and our associations. So one of the great gifts that God has given to his church is this gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, when I say the Holy Spirit, if you think you're confused about who the Holy Spirit is and what he does, imagine what it was for these uh, Christ followers in Ephesus. Because they'd only heard of the Holy Spirit for about eight years or so. And so if you're confused, just think of how confused they would be. Just imagine what they are feeling, saying, well, what do you mean we have the gift of the Holy Spirit? Um, God's Holy Spirit, first and foremost, as you see in the title here, the memo that God's Holy Spirit wants you to know is, I am not a ghost. I am not something that's in a horror movie. But instead, I am a real person. And I have a real job as a member of the Trinity, the triunity, the God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. I am currently the one who not just falls on Christians, but indwells Christians. And only a spirit can do that, so every Christian is indwelt. And because God's spirit dwells in us, we approach our lives differently from those who live by the culture only. So we enter this next section, and we're instructed to live wisely. And we're told what living wisely means under the influence of the spirit. And I turn right now to Ephesians chapter 5. And um, this is very interesting because I'm in, in Ephesians chapter 5. I'm down at verse 15. And it's the last line. When I turn the page... I see the end of Ephesians. Friends, the end is coming. Okay? We will finish Ephesians. For some of you, it may seem like a long time. But for me, it's a disaster. 
Um, uh, it has been just a delight to go through it very, very slowly and have the help of people like the McNallys and the Parks to do it with me. So I begin here when he talks about what does it mean to live wisely. And I've turned to Galatians by mistake. Okay. Ephesians chapter 5. Be very careful then to these, this, uh, you know, this gathering of believers that live in a world-class city. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, the opposite of wise, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is what he's saying is, I want you to live wisely. And then part of living wisely because you are in Christ means you also live spiritually. Part of living wisely means that you receive all of the resources that God has so that you can live with the Spirit dwelling in you and having a deep influence on your life. So there is in Ephesus, just like there is here in the United States, a culturally correct life. And it provides order and harmony so that, so that people can get along. And, there's, and, and a city like Ephesus works. Paul tells them to live wisely, but not just culturally. They will have to discern the differences between a good life and the good life of Ephesus and the following Christ's life in the decisions that they make. And there will be a difference sometimes. I take you back to the last chapter when Paul wisely is telling them in, in Ephesians 4 verse 10, find out what pleases the Lord. Very simple instruction. And in the Living Bible it ends with, and then do it. It's not enough to know. Find out what it is and then follow through and do it. That's living wisely. Not knowing everything, but living everything. And he says, uh, we want you to live wisely, making the most of every opportunity. Be careful how you live. Live wisely, making the most of every opportunity. Now, many of us have business opportunities. Some of us have community opportunities. Where do we get involved in our community? Some of us have taken investment opportunities and they didn't turn out so good. Others turned out good. He's saying also understand there's opportunities from God. The Holy Spirit who dwells in you is going to be giving you opportunities that only he can bring. And when you, you know, you say, well, what would those be? What can God do that won't be uh, duplicated by my culture? Well, when you understand what the next step of obedience is in your life. Do you act wisely and do it because you know what pleases God? Or do you procrastinate? Live wisely, he says. When you sense that the conversation you're in is almost like a divine appointment, do you hang around, see where God's going to take it? Or do you say, man, I'm just out of time. I really need to go. When you sense that God is opening a door for your life, do you walk through it or do you stand outside saying, I'm not sure I really like that door? Make the most of every opportunity. 
When you get invited to attend the orgy in, in, in honor of God, the goddess Artemis, what do you do? Well, you don't go. <laughs> That's living unwisely. You see, one whole book of the entire Old Testament is called Proverbs, and it's dedicated to living wisely. It's not like it's filled with doctrine. It's filled with wonderful sayings that will differ from the culture that we now live in. And as you read Proverbs and you understand the lifestyle of the United States of America, you're going to say, oh, they're, they're, you know, they don't always agree. So it should make sense that God's wisdom is not always the prevailing way of a secular culture or like uh, in Ephesus, a superstitious culture and how those cultures operate. So the first is, understand, if you're going to live wisely, there's opportunities, and there's opportunities from God. The second is, uh, understand who is controlling you. I know you're saying, hey, I have self-control. Oh, come on. If you do, would you write a book, give it to me, because I don't have much self-control. If you do, uh, come and mentor me, because I need more self-control. But... It's saying here that you're going to live under the control of something. And it's saying, please don't choose alcohol or you, we would add other things now. Don't live under the influence of alcohol, but under the influence of God's Holy Spirit. Wise living means that you understand that God has some resources for us. Did any of you get the, that email that I got um, saying that there's $35 million waiting for me in a bank in, in Nigeria? Okay, and, and I did everything they asked, and it, I'm still waiting for it to come, and I, it should be here by tomorrow. You idiot! That's not a resource that God has provided for me. But God provides things that he says you know they were directly from him. And so if you understand that God provides, like, wisdom resources, and, and, and they're there and ready for you to take, and you know that your life will be better and it'll be easier to please God because of those wisdom resources, why would you say, well, I just don't want those right now. I'm not ready for them. Uh, they, they might squelch my life. I might not have as much fun as I'm having right now. If this is what God is providing through his Holy Spirit, then do it. Now, I don't know you know, if you're susceptible to... Uh, to living under the influence of, of wine. But I do know this, that I have found it easy to live under the influence of greed rather than generosity. I have found it easy to live under the influence of deception rather than truth-telling. Uh, the best way to live under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, who, by the way, is more than just a moral conscience, the best way to live under the influence of the Holy Spirit is to understand that he comes with the same fullness that Jesus Christ came to us. And that we understand that the resources he's going to provide to us are the same things that Jesus displayed to us, grace and truth. And the Holy Spirit will be speaking grace and truth into our lives. Living wisely also means be thankful. You have a certain attitude because it says in verse 20, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Giving thanks means that you are living under the wisdom of security of God's child. Growing up, 
uh, I always got food to eat. I always had a home to live in. I always had brothers and sisters who tormented me. That was part of the security of being in the DeMolar household. Now, God has done good things in me. God is doing good things through me. And giving thanks is just a way of saying, Lord, I believe that you're going to continue to do this. Have the attitude of gratitude. We sing occasionally here, blessed be your name. It's one of my favorite songs. I can't remember the words, but I remember blessed be your name, blessed be your name, blessed be your name. And the idea is no matter what happens, blessed be your name. In the good times and the bad, blessed be your name. Our lives will never be stress-free, but they are blessed. Not worry-free, not disaster-free, but blessed. And we understand that God will be the one who takes care of us. This is God's wisdom, not cultural wisdom. It is wise, but it's distinctive from the way the rest of the world lives. So when asked to participate in something, for example, that may be legal but not ethically wise, or as we look forward and we understand, you know, um, uh, this could backfire. I better be careful. I have many times said, you know, the opportunity you're, you're offering me seems great, but I'm going to pass. Or I got someone really mad about five years ago when I said, I prayed about what you've asked me to do, and I just don't sense this is what God wants me to do right now. Oh, so you're morally better than me. I said, no, I don't think so. But you know, it just doesn't seem like the right thing to do. So I'm going to pass. And maybe you should... No, I didn't. But I wanted to. Maybe you should start praying about it. It was one of those things that was too good to be true, and by gosh, it wasn't true. All cultures have wisdom. It may differ from God's wisdom. And living wisely means we choose God when we discern what the difference is between the two. But we're also told to live spiritually when we go back to that verse about what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And this goes beyond our human abilities to the, you might say, to the heavenly abilities, to God's fourth dimension for our lives. This is something that Ephesus as a city, 350,000 or so people, may know nothing about in their head or their heart or their experience. This is something that the secular culture, when they hear what God's wisdom is and living spiritually means, they go, they go, huh? Or in your own families, where maybe you have some, some people that aren't followers of Jesus Christ, you know, you tell them what you think God is leading you to do or how God is directing your life, and they'll look at you and scoff and they'll say, stop the God talk, please, okay? Just, just please. I don't want you pressuring me. I'm not pressuring you. I'm just telling you what's going on. It's not me that's putting him under conviction. To put it most simply, when verse 18 declares, be filled with the Holy Spirit, let's get deep theology out of the way, and let's just say in one sentence or less, what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Down, dirty, right there on the ground level, it means let God control your life. Let God control your life not the other influences that wish to control your life. And what does God's control look like? He's been telling us all throughout the first uh, 
four other chapters of what God's control looks like. We, we're looking, and what does it mean for to be filled with the Spirit? Uh, it says in chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, that you may know the hope to which he has called you and his incomparably great power for us to believe. To be filled with the Spirit means you get God's knowledge and you get God's power. Knowledge and power. Knowledge of God leads you to the values of God, to the um, uh, uh, to the right understanding even of, of some of those values. Uh, I was watching uh, a, a clip of the Tony Awards, and apparently the musical, the hip-hop musical, Hamilton really cleaned up. And uh, you got many, many awards, but it also... Uh, it came right after the Orlando terrorist killings. And so standing up, receiving a, a reward, uh, the, uh, the, the Tony Award was the producer. I didn't get his name, but uh, he, he, he was saying in a deeply emotional way because it had obviously been targeted at the, at the, at the gay community. Um, he, he said probably this word love 20 times. Love, 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 love always wins. Love always wins over hate. Love always wins. Love, love, love. And we will learn that. And I, 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 for some reason, that really stuck with me. Not that he wasn't deeply emotional or expressing himself as, as, as passionately as he could. I have nothing against what he said. But I do know this. There's love and there's love. Let me explain the difference. What he is saying is that love overcomes hate in terms of our human relationships. I get that. That is what he wishes. And he would use, in the Greek terms, this word called phileo, from which we get uh, the the term Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. And he is saying, as he's talking about why this shouldn't have happened, that hate triumphed over love, he says, in the long term, love will triumph over hate. Well, like when? When? Take me through world history. When? I mean, we've even seen hate in in God's church. When does this happen? Are you looking forward to some utopia in which, oh, we will all love one another. I mean, I went through that in the 60s with the fifth dimension and when the moon is in the seventh house and Jupiter aligns with Mars and love will rule the planet. And, and okay, and, and I loved, I loved it. I sang it. I can still sing some of the words. But we're always going to find something to hate. If you don't understand that that is part of your nature, and no human government and no human effort is, you know, can ever overcome that. You are living in a dream world and I have reality with Jesus Christ better than you do. So for that, I just have to say, I, I love what you said, but let's talk reality. Jesus in John, where, you know, in the Gospel of John, as well as through many other places in Scripture, use this word agape love. 
An agape love displays to us in Jesus. This Jesus who, who compels, uh, you know, this love for, that Jesus has compels him to experience violence that we should have experienced. Agape love puts the very Son of God at odds with his eternal Father for the first and only time in, in heavenly history so that we can be at peace with him. Agape love is a sacrificial love, not a brotherly love. It is not a tolerating love. And God, through his indwelling spirit, gives us the knowledge and the power to live that love. Understand also the Holy Spirit, as we live spiritually, is an acquired blessing. We receive him as we become followers of Christ. It is a gift that he gives us. This is not a spirit of God who is with us, but more than that, he is a spirit of God who is in us with the idea that he is to be giving influence over us and taking more and more control of us. So in our first chapter, the Holy Spirit is called the seal or proof that God is with us. And then it's also called, he is also called a deposit. His presence with us and in us assures us that we are God's children until we get the full experience of being in heaven with him. With that idea, we have a great God who keeps us assured because of the acquired blessing, the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. Now, sometimes we want proof that the Holy Spirit lives in us, and so we're looking for spectacular things, but understand the Holy Spirit can be both spectacular and very, very subtle. When Jesus is baptized, the Spirit descends like a dove on him and a voice speaks, And the voice says, this is my son whom I love. That's spectacular. When I got baptized, my friends, I don't think they were going to bring me up. (laughs) That was subtle. They were saying, a little more baptism, uh, Jim. Yeah, you haven't quite got it yet. Um, More than that. We find that as Jesus does his ministry, the Holy Spirit performs great miracles through him. He has power to heal the sick, to give sight to the blind in nine different ways that that it's recorded. He just doesn't shoot them with a medicine. He uses different methods. He raises the dead to mortal life. And God raises Jesus to immortal life, the same life that we will share with him. So that is spectacular. But when it comes to the day-to-day ministry of Jesus, he spends most of it with his disciples. And he spends even more of it, well, most of it with his disciples. And at other times, he's teaching large groups, letting them know what God wants them to know about him. That's very subtle. Compare that to just, uh, you know, about 50 days later after his resurrection, when the Holy Spirit falls on Jesus' remaining disciples. And as he falls on the disciples, they speak in tongues that they don't know how to speak in. That is spectacular. So understand that the Spirit works in spectacular ways. Most of my life has been in very subtle ways. December 3rd, 1980. I'm confident that's what he led me to do. To be filled with the Spirit then does not mean that it's going to be spectacular all the time and maybe for some of us hardly ever spectacular. But to be filled with the Spirit means letting God do the work that he wants to do in you. Sometimes that work is interfered with. 
Paul has in mind that he's going to create churches in the land we now call Turkey. And every time it says he tries to go to this place and this place and this place on a second missionary journey, uh, it says he's hindered by the Spirit. I don't know what it means to be hindered by the Spirit. Paul doesn't explain it. It's just that he couldn't get there. But the very next night he has a dream and a God and it, it, it's someone saying, please come to Greece. And he, he says, that's the Holy Spirit. And he goes and God blesses them. Sometimes there's an interference between you and the Holy Spirit. Wait, wait. He will make things clear. And then we're told to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And one of the ways in which the, the power of God works is we understand that he works in character transformation. I've dealt with a lot of men, one of them named Jim DeMoller in my life. And, and a lot of men, they find that they, you know, they're, they're given to angry outbursts. Or a lot of men uh, are, are given to just not getting engaged with other people's lives. One of those men is Jim DeMoller. So the Holy Spirit has to work in Jim DeMoller to create the character that he wants to affect God's people and people beyond the church. And so we have this list of what is the evidence or what is the fruit that God's Spirit is working in you. And it's called the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Uh, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, and I forgot one, faithfulness. I faithfully forgot that, and I do every time. And against such there is no law. You know that you are coming more and more under the influence of the Holy Spirit if those that love you best, know you best, see the fruit of the Spirit growing in you and taking more control because that's what the Spirit wants to do. Secondly, you will know uh, that you are becoming filled with the Spirit when you align your life more with what you're reading in God's Word, the Bible. Why? Because the, you know, the Holy Spirit's best tool is the Bible. Why is it his best tool? He wrote it, friends. Peter says he carried the authors along. Paul says all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for our good for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that we'll be better equipped, so we'll be uh, not just more informed, but, but better living. You have the character proof, and you have the, the objective proof of the Scripture, and you're not just believing it, but you're living it. The most, um, uh, well, I'll put it this way. A lot of people have really good opinions, and they like sharing them with me. And as they share them with me, uh, sometimes, you know, especially among Christians, I'll let them give me uh, their opinion, and I'll give their opinion some weight or some attention. There are other Christians who, when they share something with me, they put the Scripture with it. And suddenly the weight of that gets much deeper, and I have to consider you know, how important is that Scripture. So I give it more attention. Um, finally, I understand that in addition to uh, what the Christians, you know, and them being used by God's Holy Spirit in my life, sometimes there's inner promptings going on in my life, such as setting a deadline for December 3rd. You know, as I see it, the Holy Spirit, I guess, I, again, I'm using a glass, I'm using water, and every time I pick these up, you go, now what is water? Okay. This glass, let's say, sort of 
is my life and everything contained in it. And this is the Holy Spirit who wants to be poured out into my life, taking more and more control. What is hindering the Holy Spirit from having full control of my life? It's not a trick question. The rocks. These are rocks. Uh, I know they're rocks because we live in the Rocky Mountains and I got them here, okay? Right outside the office door. These rocks would probably talk about the things that are con- uh, controlling my life that are hindering the Spirit taking full control. Now, usually a pastor would talk about, here are the seven sins you need to avoid. And I'll just say, avoid them, okay? Avoid them, I won't list them. But there's more in my life that is not under the control of the Holy Spirit than just sin. I live in a culture that values things far more than God values things. I live in a culture that is secular and doesn't know how to put God into the culture. That's effective, isn't it? i got to use that again. I, I'm, I'm living among neighbors who, you know, as they think of how the world should operate and how their lives operate, uh, outwardly they're showing more success than I am. And it's very appealing. I'm living with a lot of human limitations, and I think, ah, bag it. I'll just live with them. I don't need to try and follow Jesus. See, I'm living with all of these. More than that, I'm living with Jim DeMoller, who likes his personal freedom, and who honestly can say, Holy Spirit, I don't know what you want to do here, but I've got a plan. The more I can eliminate the things in my culture that go against being filled with the Spirit, the more I can eliminate the sin in my life that go against being filled with the Spirit, the more I can be filled with the Spirit. Let's pray. Almighty God, how awesome you are. And I am just thinking now of the next issues that you have for me in which you are claiming don't be under the influence of this issue. Don't go along with a secular culture. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Where and what specific area? Character, knowledge, discerning God's will. Where? Where? Are you asking to be filled with the Spirit? That he would have a greater, deeper influence in your life than you could ever dream or imagine. And that through that, your life would actually be a better one by his standards. 
and you would give him more honor. Lord, speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name and God's people said.